Welcome to yet another Thursday I. Today is October 19th, and we're about to get started. I already see a few friends in the audience who I want to invite on stage, and then we're going to get started really soon to talk about actually many, many things, and it's going to be fun. We're going to cover some updates in open source LLMs, and uh, we have a few time to raise in the audience. I'm probably going to recap a little bit of my experience in San Francisco, AI engineer. I'm actually wearing the t-shirt right now, but this is a voice only medium. So you guys won't be able to see. Maybe I'll post a, a selfie. Or maybe we should post a selfie every time. It's like, hey, we're started with a selfie. So you guys know how I look. And maybe I'll cover some AI engineer stuff. And we're mostly going to cover this last week, even though kind of a week before there were no updates. So technically there's two weeks of updates to give you guys, but I, I don't want to go as far back as two weeks because we will never stop talking. <laughs> so mostly updates from this week. And there has been plenty already, including some breaking news ones. So I'll start, I'll start sharing as well. Uh, next week I may have some very interesting news regarding Thursday I, but until then you guys will just have to like remember to tune in. And I think there's plenty of us here to also get. Okay. So actually I'm going to, I'm going to thread it back to the AI engineer event. So last week, almost, almost two weeks ago, actually, because now, yeah, last week I went to San Francisco and I see Abby in the audience. I see some other folks to a conference that was started by Swix, also a friend of the pod, the host of Latent Space. And they invited me to be media. Everybody who comes to Thursday, I already know this. I've, I've said this multiple times. So if you hear me repeat this, I'm sorry, but also there's new, new folks in the audience. And I was really invited to just talk to folks and be, talk to speakers, talk to folks as well. And I actually recorded a few spaces from there. I want to say three spaces, one of them with Wix uh, recapping everything. One of them with Sasha, uh, AKA Hadgoofer. Uh, who announced the AI engineer foundation and one of them with Daniel, the program manager for TypeScript, who talked about TypeChat. And besides the spaces, I also had the chance to interview a bunch of folks and obviously be in the audience to like talk with, with a lot of AI engineers. And it was actually great to see how many, this was a very limited summit. There was like 500 people hand selected and the talks were hand selected. And it was great to see how many people are working on some of the things we talk about from week to week, right? So this was a whole 500 people audience where if you say rag, everybody know what you're talking about, which is retrieval augmented generation, which we've covered multiple times here. And if you say fine tune or lambs, everybody will definitely ask you which ones are you fine tuning, if it's Lama or Mistral. And uh, I found it wonderful to just be in that crowd. So it's like being here with you guys, but with like 500 other people. I want to shout out a few friends of the pod, listeners of Thursday I who came to me and say, Hey, Alex, we know you're and we tune in and Francisco and some other folks from Argentina, some folks from Spain. I was humbled as hell guys. Like, honestly, this whole thing with Thursday, I was just me talking with some friends on stage. And suddenly there's people from like around the world who are like tuning in and listening and they, they come to me and say, this is a great thing to help us. And yeah, please share with your friends because. If it helps them and they join our community and the community grows, and then there's a bunch of opportunities within this community as well for connections. And if I'm able to hold the space for all of that, I'm very, very happy and I'm very satisfied. So definitely, definitely remember sharing as well. I was really humbled with that. Honestly, I, I did not expect somebody coming up to me and say, Hey, you're doing a great job. 
like face to face. Uh, on Twitter, yes. On DMs, yes. Some of you also send me the emoji that I leave at the end of the newsletter. I really appreciate all of you who read all the way till the end to see the emoji of the week. So if, if you get the next newsletter and you, you send me the emoji in the DM somewhere, I'll be very happy with that as well. And so during this conference, the whole idea of an AI engineer was brought to light. And I, I think I saw like a tweet from Simon Wilson, who basically said something like, Prompt engineering may go away as a concept because more and more models are getting a better fine-tuned on instructions. Models are getting better at understanding what you want without prompts. AI art prompt engineering is definitely going away since DALI just does the prompt engineering for you, right? If, if you use DALI 3 at this point, and I think last week it opened up to 100% of people, then it does the prompt engineering for you. You basically say what you want, and then you talk to it, which is incredible. And so I think this idea of prompt engineering as, as a sole job is going away. However, AI engineer specifically is more about just writing and, and uh, prompts. It's a lot of stuff together. It's uh, how to productize models. It's how to maybe have a gut feeling about what type of models to use for which purpose. It's um, intuition about when to use AI, where to not use AI, because not everything needs AI as a solution so far. And so this AI engineering thing is uh, up and coming. And definitely folks, uh, folks are recommended to check out the summary we did with Twix. I posted this on my little last, last week's uh, Thursday Eye. And the one thing that I thought that wasn't very well mentioned, and I want to mention this strongly, and we've been talking about this literally, like literally every week since we started, is the multimodality aspect. And by the way, all talks were recorded on YouTube and you can rewatch all of them. So everything that I'm saying, if it connects with you and you want to go and watch all the talks are, uh, are recorded. And some folks actually had like threads about this. If you, if you can't find one, just let me know. Uh, there was a talk from Logan Kilpatrick and Simon from OpenAI, and they talked about the multimodal future that's coming to all of us. And I've been excited about multimodality. I recently got access to GPT-4 Vision, which was incredible. Honestly, I haven't tested it as much as I thought I would once we get it because I'm really waiting for the API. And so obviously the folks from OpenAI, they have access to the API of GPT-4 Vision and they showed some incredible things on stage while preparing us for this multimodal future that's coming towards us very fast. One of the things they showed is a prompt engineer type experience where you, you upload a picture, GPT-4 in like a one pipeline, right? Like one basic web page that they built, uh, you upload the picture, you ask GPT-4 vision to understand this picture. Then you ask it to turn it into a prompt. Then you give DALI, which they also have like an API, you give DALI this prompt and, um, this prompt then gets drawn. Then you upload both the new generated picture from DALI and the original picture back to GPT-4 Vision and then ask it to compare because this multimodal vision model has the abilities to like take input of multiple, multiple images and you can ask it to compare. And then you ask it, Hey, based on this comparison, generate a new prompt that will also include the stuff that you forgot or omitted. Right? So basically like a loop agent, AI engineer for image generation. And I looked at this demo and I was like, wow, there's so much to be achieved with getting this API for GPT-4. And then connecting it to this week, 
Adapt AI, the company that we've all talked about a few weeks ago, that released this model called Persimmon, a company who was founded by a few of the authors of the original Transformers paper, and some of them I think are no longer there, released an open source model for us that's multimodal as well. It's called Fuyu 8B, so 8 billion parameters, and it's a multimodal trained on understanding charts and UI and, and does uh, OCR very quick. And it's actually a very interesting release from them because it doesn't include a, I think a vision transformer. I'm not fully diving deep into like how they built it, but the, all, all our friends who are reading the paper are saying that it's a very simple architecture and it's a very impressive that they arrived at the multimodal model with a very simple architecture. So actually we'll go and pin this to the top of the tweet for you guys. So you'd be able to, to see, but they have the Hagen phase demo right from the start, which is great. And I want to go and find you guys the, the multimodal link and th they have the Hagen phase demo and it's actually pretty good. So. And an additional thing that we always talk about is compared to GPT-4 is unfair for, especially for open source, right? So we basically, I think Arthur, you and I talked about this in my head, there's like two benchmarks. There's one benchmark of multi-billion dollar companies training with like many of their PhDs training, like the best of the best models, like Claude and Tropic and GPT-4, et cetera. And there's almost another benchmark for now, at least for open source models. And so for this specific vision model, I have a, a different benchmark. I cannot compare it to GPT-4 vision. However, I compare it to the other vision multimodal models we have, like a defix from Hagen Face, which is an 80 billion parameter big model that you cannot run by yourself. And I think it compares very well to the IDEFIX one. We also had Lava and th there's multiple attempts at replicating Flamingo and all these different like, vision models. And Connecting the thread between kind of the, the, the demo on stage from Logan and Simon. And basically what they said is multimodal is coming. 2024 will be the year of multimodal. And really we got this release called Fuyu from Adept. I think I'm definitely connecting with that vision. Multimodal is coming very fast and image is just one modality. Sound and audio is another, and there will be other modalities as well. The additional thing that everybody talked on stage in the AI engineer event was agents. Many agent companies were there, some demos in the crowd from, from different companies would actually, they would ask you for a URL and then go and generate an agent that, that knows all of the content in that URL. So you can talk to, to your website, basically. I did this for Thursday. I, it was great. It was actually able to answer most of the questions that I had about like different episodes. Pixie, what was the company? Shout out to Pixie. They really impressed me with their demo. And so these agents that are coming to us will also enjoy this real uprise in multimodality as well. So if, if you're currently considering that agents are only text and their uh, helpfulness is limited, let's say, definitely look forward for GPT-4 API or this little Fuyu 8B multimodal model. All of these vision capabilities, agents will basically get eyes very soon, if not already. And just imagining what agents could do while also seeing what you want them to do and not only like reading your emails, but also like seeing your images or I don't know, seeing whatever tweets you're, you're tweeting or seeing the results and graphs of your training runs, for example, like all these things, agents will definitely get way better. 
So Fuyu is announced. I think it's uh, interesting to talk about also the, the highlight in the Fuyu announcement. So Fuyu has this uh, very simple architecture that uh, does breaks down an input into little chunks and then there's linear projection on top of them. Again, I'm not a data scientist, so data scientists in the crowd or in on stage are welcome to chime in and tell us like what's interesting about this. But what's interesting from what they've trained for is reading charts and understanding interfaces and UI. And I'll just remind everyone that Adept came out and raised a bunch of money and they actually haven't released this, but they worked on something called Act One, which is a model they trained to move your cursor for you and, and, and actually execute tasks in the browser. So they, they have a Chrome, a Chrome extension for that. I can't go to more details because Adept is also the only company that ever signed an NDA with the users of their like super secret project. I, I was one of those users. So I can tell you like what the previous version was. I will tell you that it's old now and almost irrelevant because the folks in Adept are working on something very interesting. And so it's great to see them also open sourcing a bunch of stuff. And those stuff is definitely going toward their multimodal future. So this is Adept Fuyu, and I recommend you guys check it out. There is a hug and face demo you can upload stuff to, and then you are more than, more than welcome to check it out and let us know if, if you find it better or worse than, I should say, GPT-4 vision. It's probably worse, but better than other image models like IDFX and Lava and all these things. And how much worse is it because it's a small model that you can basically run on your computer. The second thing we have to talk about, and I always love covering this specific topic in open cell LMs, is Open Hermes was released by Technium. Technium is a dear friend of the pod. I, I just pinned it to the top of the space. The, the goat of open source, I think he open source like three models this week as something, and he always like at the, the nearness of the top of the charts. And so, um, Technium announced open Hermes 2. Hermes is, is this very well-performant data set and a set of models that, uh, Technium was fine tuning for a long time on top of Llama. I think started with Llama and then Llama 2 as well. And this is the first model that's, uh, the first Hermes model that was trained on top of Mistral and uh, trained on 900,000 instructions. Uh, and we've talked about different attempts at getting more instructions as well, uh, like last week or a week before. And this model is a tiny 7B model that joins the ranks of like <laughs> almost, almost matches some 70 billion parameter models in size, which is again, a trend that we've seen. Zephyr was released last week. We haven't covered this as well from Hagenface. Also a tiny model that beats a model's 10 size as large. I'll just remind you guys that Llama 2 was released, I'll say July, July or August, like not, not, not that much ago, like, like well, two months ago. And since then we've seen incredible progress in state of the art of models, just like tinier and better and more performant. And we see this literally from week to week. And Mistral, when it came out just two weeks ago, I want to say maybe three weeks ago, it was very clear for many folks from its performance that this is the model that all the fine tuners and open sources will like, will yearn for and try to like fine tune. And since then, most of the top of the open source LLMs 
are now Mistral Fine-Tunes. And the incredible thing that the Mistral team did, and they're welcome to join Thursday and talk about this, they released their models in Apache 2 license. <laughs> they released it, if you guys remember, with a tweet, with a BitDorrent link, and just like, here we go, world. And only then they released kind of the, the, the thread on Twitter and the, the standard procedures of releasing models. And very, very quickly we noticed that since then, all of the top 10 of the all of fine tunes are like not fine tune on Mistral. Not only that, we get like significantly tinier models, 7B, 7B parameters. You can run this on your M1 Mac fairly quickly. They now outperform almost all models up until the 70B benchmark. And on 70B, they're coming very, very close. So two things are happening at once here, right? Two, two threads are happening at once. We get better and better performance models in the large model area of like the 70B and we saw Falcon 180B that everybody stopped talking about because it wasn't very interesting and it was hard to fine tune. And I haven't actually seen fine tunes of Falcon since they released it. It was like a whole thing, but the smaller models are just climbing to the top of the charts, bidding on performance, bidding on, on a bunch of met benchmarks, which also benchmarks are a whole thing that we will cover and they're not great, but you know, that, that's what we currently have. And Hermes is one of the top ones. And so how do I actually know that it's one of the top ones? Well, that's a whole other thing of how do you actually evaluate open source models? And everybody has their own approach. My approach is I have a few problems that I run on, mul on multiple models and also the best thing about the 7B models, Mistral, all these, is that you can actually run them on most Macs now, which is incredible. And so the way to do this, and I really wanted to feature them as well, and Tickneum shouted them out, there's a new software, new-ish, that I invited them to be here, but they couldn't be here. It's called LM Studio. And so I will actually pin this in additional tweet. If you have a newer Mac, M1 or M2, and you don't know how to create a Python environment and how to download all these things and how to take a model from Hagen Face and actually use it. Well, now this is very easy. It's been easy for with GPT-4 all, I think from Nomic AI as well, but the UI is a little clunky for me. And I don't know, GPT-4 all like made my computer get stuck a little bit. So here's this thing called LM Studio, which Tickium recommended and I downloaded and absolutely loved it, which basically lets you to paste a Hagen Face link to any models and just run them on your Mac. And if you have a Mac, that's a very, very easy way to just test these models very quickly. And you can switch between them. You can load them a model to memory and then unload, or they call it eject. And yeah, this is not sponsored or anything, just like a software that I use and I recommend you guys also to use, because again, these models are getting released every week, better and better. And, and this is like a very easy way to test them out. Junaid, have you had a chance to use LM Studio? No, I'm still one of those people that's stuck on a Intel Mac. So I just wanted to chime in real quick and mention Olama, mm -hmm. which is one way that you can, if you're not on an M1 or an M2 Mac and you want to try to mess around with running some models locally, you can use Olama. I'm doing it on my older MacBook Air and I have to shut everything else down and it goes real slow, but I was able to run Mistral and Zephyr and some other ones on my machine. So yep. go ahead, Austin. I have used this app and I think it is very, very useful and easy. However, there is one thing that you still need to know. You need to know which model to download, 
and which quantized version of the model to download because it just shows files like Q6K, Q8, O or something. And you're like, which one should I pick? And it doesn't give you any hints on that. Absolutely. So, yeah, do you have any recommendations to which of the three formats that we now have? GPTQ, GGUF, and another one, a new one, AWQ. I have never seen this one before. Do you have any recommendations of what to run when we have access to all three? I don't know. <laughs> I just played with it a bit, so I <laughs> don't have any insights or knowledge. For folks who are not as familiar with quantization and we we should briefly maybe mention that quantization is a way to reduce the size of the model weights file by removing some precision. And there's a few different methods for that. There's the GPTQ method and the GGUF method. Many of them came from Llama.cpp, which is a project to run Llama very fast on CPU and, and GPU and like on M1 where CPU and GPU is together. And they're like, like as I said, there is a way to run a smaller sized model which will perform a little better as well. And so uh, GPTQ and GGUF and uh, Film Studio actually shows you capability as well. So if you drop this link, like Arthur is right, like don't just drop a link to hug and face of a model that somebody just released. Wait for the quantized versions and usually the bloke, <laughs> literally the bloke on, on Twitter, that's the account to follow for all these quantizations. I think they're sponsored by A16Z. And so many of the models that are friends of the pod, like Alignment Labs and, and Naus Research and Skunkworks, all, all these like great people release, many of these models are getting quantized very, very quick. So basically like got the size is cut like almost in half and you should choose the one quantized version that fits you. GGUF, in my experience, ran fine on my M1 Mac. Uh, but yeah, Ellen Studio gives you the option to see if this is, if there's a capability. I see somebody who wants to raise their hand and he's, he says it's GPU poor, so that's usually a, a good sign. So Arthur, go ahead and I'll bring Benjamin up. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know which quantized version to choose. Like there are, I don't know. I've just opened Hermes. I think it is the old one and there are, I don't know, 10 different versions to download. <laughs> or if they could explain which is better or maybe which is better for my hardware, it would be great because I just don't know which one to. Okay, so I think this is a great point for the community. Shout out to the, the folks who are fine-tuning these models. And also we need the guide of like hardware and which models to, to choose from between the quantized versions. Um, Right. So we've covered Open Hermes 2 on Mistral 7B. This is like the first big fine tune on Mistral 7B that Tickney released. Those are additional models they want to cover. I haven't, I haven't written it down in my note, but I just remembered it. Somewhere before this like big release, the folks from Naus Research also released this very interesting model that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of, which was trained on the occult and the spiritual. And I, I thought it was really funny. Oh yeah. It's called, oh, it was written on Friday the 13th, literally, <laughs> literally a week ago in the day. It's called Mistral Trismesgistus. Trismesgistus. Yes. Trismesgistus. This is the model and I'll pin this to the top. And first of all, I'm loving the art that's accompanying all these releases, right? But definitely this one is a very interesting one. They collected a data set of just like a lot of specific 
how should I say, occult and spiritual and esoteric knowledge and wisdom traditions, like all things paranormal as well, right? So if you want to, if you want to go a little bit off the regular LLM path and, and start asking your model how to, I don't know, resurrect ants, for example, or how to do like a summoning circle, stuff like this, if this tickles your fancy, then there's a model for you that based on Mistral 7B, don't expect it to be the best performing helper model, but I think it's very interesting that this like different data set exists and they train on 35,000 instruction responses for different subtopics in esoterica, like mysticism, hermeticism, necromancy, religion, meditation and magic and spirituality, like all these things together thrown into like one big pot. And interestingly, I've tested both this model and the Hermes model. And I've noticed some changes, not a huge set of changes, because again, remember those are fine tunes, right? So fine tune doesn't actually make the model, it makes the model better on different benchmarks, but the underlying model still knows what it knows and fine tune adds a bunch of like new information or new task ability. I just found it very interesting and funny and I thought I would, I would mention this. So Trismestius, uh, Trismestius, yeah. If this is for you, then try it out. It's definitely less of a safe model for sure. There were, there's some instructions there that GPT-4 will not generate for you, like a resurrection circle. If, if this, if this is something that you want to play with, there's a model for you. I think it's very interesting also to highlight the open source nature of these models and how different this is from the bigger labs where I don't see anything like this coming from Entropic, right? I don't see anything like this coming from like a big company that raised a bunch of money from VCs and tries to make the safe, the safest possible models, this type of things will only come from open source and I love it. And this is why we love open source here on Thursday. I, so shout out to folks, uh, that, that are building these models and releasing them for us. Okay. I think the next thing that I want to cover briefly, there was a one weird trick that was released on Twitter. It's called Neptune. So, you know, these like Twitter threads of folks who are trying to farm engagement. And they say, there's one good trick to, to, to make something way, way better. And so this isn't one because this came out with a paper and it came out with actual examples. There's this new method of fine tuning called Nestune. And the simple trick there is during training, people add some noise to the output of the embedding layers. <laughs> and that's it. And so I pinned this tweet to the top from Omar, Omar from Hug and Taste. I think the. The original thread was from Tom Goldstein, a professor at UMD, and they basically showed that even for the model that we, we already covered, like Open Platypus and, and, and different like other places, this Neft thing is improving the outcome with a significant amount. So on top of the regular SFT model. And again, I find it incredible that doing something as simple can give you like even like a 25% boost in performance. And I just wonder how many of those like quote unquote simple tricks we still have yet to cover. Uh, and the uh, nest is also working with QLora, which we've covered as well. And so if fine tuning is for you and you're using transformer libraries, I think they're going to add a uh, nest tune as well, uh, to the, to the, uh, transformer fine tune library and it's very easy. It's literally, you just like, you just add some noise. It's incredible. It reminds me, you guys know what it reminds me, we, we've covered this before the yarn method, sorry, the rope scaling method before yarn, ro rope scaling, rotational embedding. This was the same thing. 
there was this one guy who came out and said, hey, I have a way to extend the context length of Lama by adding two lines and basically changing like one thing in there. And everybody's like, what? This makes no sense. And then, yeah, this made sense. Not only it made sense, there was like a few papers following the rope scaling method and turned into the... <laughs> turned into the yarn scaling method. And this is the way that folks, friends of the pod, extend Llama all the way to 128K tokens. And now there's another simple trick where you just like, literally, if you go to the tweet on top and just scroll down a little bit, it's literally like, there's code here, if training, return original embedding plus noise, else return original embedding. That's it. So during training, you just add a little bit of noise. And then your model performance becomes better by almost 25% on, and it scales from smaller models to bigger models. I find it incredible and worth mentioning as well. And I guess we've just unlocked for, for all these models, we just unlocked like 25% more performance. Any comments on this from folks? Oh, okay. Somebody commented that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Make sure it makes the model worse if you use a good base model like Mistral. So Wing, thank you from the comments. Wing, you're welcome to come up and tell us this. I'm often like following a lot of excitement, but some amount of uh, realism is also helpful here. So as, as we said, for good models like Mistral, it may be actually reduced performance. So try and see. Yeah, let's get Wing here. Hey, Alex. Hello. Hey, Wing, nice to meet you. Do you mind, because you haven't been on stage, do you mind introducing yourself real quick? Yeah, yeah, I'm Wing. I'm I'm the maintainer of Axe Model, so we do a lot of like run fine tunes and maintain the a a trainer around the Hugging Face trainer. And we've been trying to implement Neptune and sort of like validate the paper. One of the things they really didn't they provided some hyperparameters, but I'm trying to re-replicate it with Llama. I I just started with Mistral because that's what everybody's using nowadays, anyways. So if you like look at the, I think there was like a tweet a couple of days ago where TRL did it with the Guanaco data set. And it was like the empty bench of it was started like four and a half, right? Or, or 3.75 and it goes to five. Um, but I went ahead and tried to replicate it using Mistral on the, on a similar Guanaco data set, like an, an instruct tune data set. And then I think, so I think it was the empty benches and that were like closer to seven. But like when you try and like do it with both, like I, tr I compared weight with it with weight decay with like alpha at five, alpha at 20. And for most of those cases, you're just better off going without Neptune at that point. I, there's probably still some more like hyperparameter trimming that might need to be needed, needed to be done on that to validate it. But just like at face value, it doesn't seem like, and even they say like, depends on your data set too. Like, I think they said like on the ultra chat data set or some, one of those other data sets, it's, it, it gets very minimal changes and you sort of see that the, I think in their paper, they showed a, a loss distribution where they have the Gaussian distributions for the train loss for both with, with and without Neptune. And you see like this huge discrepancy in, in the train loss values, it's almost like it, if you were to stacking into a single chart it would be like a bimodal distribution but you don't really see that either when using neptune like at least not with like alpha 5 with alpha 20 it comes closer so yeah i'm a little skeptical i got it Wayne, thank you so much for commenting and coming to the stage i'll just tell folks in the audience who are not maybe familiar with axolotl do you mind giving like a two two sentence like intro to axolotl because i've heard from many of my python friends 
they all use it, but I'm not sure that everybody in the audience knows what it is. Yeah. So really what we do is we try and take all of like, like when QLR came out, we were trying to implement it into on top of the Hugging Face Trainer within like a few few days. So we're, we basically take everything that's sort of cutting edge that people want to try out, drop it into the trainer. And then rather than trying to do all the configuration from the um, CLI, most of it's done from a YAML file. So it's, you can just ship the YAML file and anybody can try and reproduce what you've done. So, yeah. Awesome. And thank you for joining and also for working on this uh, important tool. Like many, many folks recommend using Axolotl in this community as well. Uh, so thank you. Uh, and actually in, in a live way, you reacted to this and then actually here on stage, who, actually you, you've been with us before. So feel free to also introduce you briefly uh, and then comment on Wing and then uh, Wing's comments on, on Nestion. And then we're going to continue down another path. Greetings of the day, everyone, and thank you for the time here. I'm a student. I'm basically a hobbyist, 21 years old, doing whatever I can. And when this, uh, this Neptune was released, I saw this tweet and immediately went on to try. I guess I got lucky because I chose a very simple data set. It's from Quora, and it's supposed to make your model question-based, right? And I observed that it didn't even cost much, to be honest, to fine-tune it, and it improved performance uh, of this Mistral 7B base model. And that's what I was commenting uh, for, for Wing also, that I tried this and it actually worked. So it's probably dependent on the data set you choose and the way you fine-tune it. Uh, it's not it's not probably that easy to make. It doesn't work or work, like not black and white. That's something I wanted to add. Thank you. Thanks, Akshay. And uh, yeah, definitely we'll keep saying... Uh the responses from the community for this. So it's probably good to know that it's not like a one patch solution. So thanks, Wink, for coming up. And uh, actually, as well, welcome to, to stick around. Um, I think uh, Wing actually mentioned the next thing that I wanted to mention, but it's not like an announcement or a new thing that released. It's just like a feeling that Mistral right now is the top dog in open source fine tunes, right? Like Mistral came out with this model. Uh, and we've talked about Mistral, like I think this is the third consecutive space we're talking about Mistral. And it's just great to see how much, how quickly the open source community just like decided, oh, you know what? Actually, there's this like better model that we can all start fine-tuning on top of. And that just came out like a few, a few weeks, maybe like seven weeks after Llama 2 and is now extremely performant from a great team. There's a bunch of like great pre-training data there. And it's like a great start for the rest of the community. And it's a fully, fully open source with no strings attached. Like, and I just wanted to like highlight how much, how awesome this is to have this type of model and this team in Mistral who committed to open source fully. And so we already got connected to Thursday I with the Mistral team. If you have a deeper connection and you know some of the folks, feel free to to to, to send me a DM with them together. I want to bring the Mistral team here on stage because we love open source LLMs as well, and they just need to know how much the community adopted everything that they did. And this is just the start, right? They're working on many other things. So we're definitely going to hear more from the Mistral team. And also shout out to Adept, who is uh, committing to release open source and committing to release uh, multimodal things. Um, hopefully we're going to see something multimodal from uh, Mistral as well. I think they mentioned something briefly, but I'm not sure. I think this, these are all of the more important open source stuff that we wanted to cover. Unless there was something else, 
to the audience. This is uh, yet another live recording of this Thursday iPod, uh, all of the AI news from last week. And the community grows, and as it grows, there's more uh, people join. So I just want to say hi to everybody in the audience who haven't joined yet. Uh, Simon and Wing and Ian, uh, for the first time, welcome to Axolotl Dev. And I see Aydin in the audience who is welcome to come up because we're going to talk about the reason why you came up. Aydin, I'm going to send you another invite. And I see, it's great to see folks, the same folks come back from week to week. So shout out everybody in the audience. And folks on stage, Arthur and Akshay and Junaid, welcome as always to discuss the greatest news. And I just want to shout out Jan Pelleg, the staple of Thursday I, a great, great friend of ours who cannot join because he's in the army. And Jan, take care of yourself, stay safe. And yeah, we'll move on. We're moving on to the big company updates and there's plenty, oh boy, there's plenty of big company updates. And so first of all, I will talk about inflection. Do you guys remember inflection AI? We've talked about inflection AI. They're co-founded by Mustafa Suleiman, one of the co-founders of DeepMind and Reid Hoffman, who was at the huh, board of directors for OpenAI. And they're basically. How should I say, taking a different approach for the LLM space. And many people in our community actually don't love their approach. I personally love it. And if you go to heypy.ai, you can talk to a model. They, I think, were the first who released like a way to actually have like a, almost like a human conversation with voice feedback and your voice as well. And so if you download the HeyPy app, it looks like FaceTime and you basically can talk to the model. And they released on May 2nd, and you can actually text with it, like, like literal text. There's a phone number. <laughs> if you want it, 314-333-1111, you can text by But this is like a fine, funny tidbit. So why am I blowing up inflections? Because uh, this week they released two things. One of them was they connected Pi to the internet. So previously Pi would not connect to the internet, and so it was limited by the cutoff time. Many people thought that they have like a proxy on GPT-4 and that's not it. They have like their own model is trained differently. It feels differently. I've been saying this multiple times. Pi is the only model that made me laugh. GPT-4 never made me laugh. Pi actually made me like laugh out loud because of one response or two responses. I think I have a document on my, on my feed. And now they've added access to the internet. And you know what the funny thing is? These models, even with GPT, there's some distance between what the model knows to do and whether or not the model knows about its ability to do so. Right. So, so like, like with uh, some updates for GPT-4, when you ask it about some things about GPT-4, it doesn't know about itself. The same thing with Pi. If you ask Pi if it has access to the internet, sometimes it won't know, but if you ask it to go and search like a tweet or something, it will actually be able to tell you about that tweet. So it's, it's funny, but they basically released access to the internet. And I just want to reflect back to when everybody said, hey, connecting these models to the internet is like the worst thing in the world and Terminator will come the second you do this. And we've seen GPT-4 with Bing release, taken away and come back. So now GPT-4 with Bing is, is, is an option for you guys. But also we've seen open source agents are connected to the internet doing a bunch of stuff. And now we see another like big company like LLM is also connected to the internet and not a lot of stuff is happening do the worst. And so I think that that's fine, actually, that's great. So if you wanted to talk about Pi, about current events or have it bring you some weather, it's not possible. And I think the second thing, and I think is a more bigger thing that they released quietly is Pi has now two modes. There's a mode of kind of basic Pi conversation wise, 
And there's another mode that is Pi support. And I want to pin the suite because I think it's very interesting. They basically have a separate mode, which I don't know if it's a fine tune and I don't know if it's like a, like a lore on top. They called it support Pi. Let me pin this to the top of the space. It's not pinned. Which basically, if you ask it, what is the support Pi? This is their attempt at giving you a therapist. Now, very important note here for a second. An AI therapist will not be as good as a human therapist for sure. If you're suffering through some trauma and you want to work this out, go find a human therapist with experience, go for the more experienced ones. Trust me. <laughs> uh, however, however, a huge, however, here is there is so much more demand than supply for therapists, for good ones. There's so much more people, first of all, are shy about the need for therapy and nobody should be shy. Therapy is great. People don't have the time for it because they, many people just work nine, 10 hour, 11 hour days. People don't have the, the money for it. Let's be very, very frank. Like therapy is expensive. Good therapy is very expensive and finding time and money for that. In addition to the fact that it's stigmatized is a whole big thing. And I definitely feel that the rise of AI agents with whom you can talk, even before you start a therapy session with like a professional for free, without fearing judgment, because it's just a machine, right? You just talk to somebody, something that's just there. No, nobody's there to judge you. Basically. I think this is a, an incredible thing for humanity to be able to have these tools, talk to these tools, these tools can talk back at you. And if they're fine tuned on specific therapy stuff, like support by is. I think it's a great, great, great thing. And I think we all should cheer this because many, many stigmas will come down and many people will actually have somebody to talk to. And so I think it's worth shouting out that this is now exists. If you're in the audience, if you're suffering from something like that, and you don't have the ability to afford a therapist, you can try it and let me know. And if you honestly, if you want to talk to someone, DM me as well. Arthur, go ahead. I just a joke there. Imagine that it will be trained on your secrets that you tell this AI therapist and that will just then spit out to some random people as a response. Yeah. Arthur, always here to, to bring us a little bit of Black Mirror. For sure, for sure. Sharing stuff about yourself, even though somebody tells you, hey, we'll not train on any of your inputs. Sharing stuff about yourself is not, it's up to you if you want to do. So connecting us to the previous thread that we had, open source is the way, right? If, if you download the Mistral 7B that's trained on support and then you talk to it via LM Studio, then nothing is going to be trained. That's on your machine. And so this is why we personally love open source and edge, edge computing and AI. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Uh, take into account the fact that uh, at some point, Inflection will be a paid company and it's a business. They have to run this business. And uh, yeah, this is, this is up to you. I can tell you guys my personal opinion about this. I don't care because like, I know how, how mixed things go within the training data set. So I find it very, very unlikely. They're all like, if you train with my stuff, somebody will ask a question. It will say, oh, you know what? Actually, Alex has the same question. And then this went into a tuning data set, but I understand the need for privacy and open source is the way and we've talked about this multiple times. So definitely a great, great note here, Arthur. So support by is there support mode? When uh, Pi is in this mode, they'll focus on providing support for wherever you're going through and emotional support, relationship support, mental health, and stuff like this. Definitely worth at least noting the trend, if not checking out yourself, definitely worth at least noting the trend because this trend is clear. We're going to have 
doctor AIs, we're going to have mental health AIs, we're going to have friendly AIs, and this will connect with the multimodal stuff, right? So, so these AIs will, so far, will not be able to understand the tone of your voice, or if you're hiding some pain and you're crying, but very, very, very soon they will be able to. So this is an update from inflection. And we're moving on to the, another update from a huge company. Anthropic released Claude.ai to like 95 other countries. And so far, Claude.ai was this to me, and I see, I think Simon said this as well, one of the best free tools and free, I call them AI friends, but people call them different things. I mostly use Claude for, for most of my stuff. So I'll give you one example for when I use Claude. All the transcripts of Thursday I, after I finish the transcript, I send to Claude the whole transcript. It's like, I don't know, 60,000 tokens or so, maybe 50,000 tokens. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I just sent to, to, to Claude because of the 100K uh, context window, Claude can take this and a bunch of other stuff. So for example, I can give it like the transcript. But also I can give it like a paper that we've discussed and then see what common trends are there. And the Claude is free. They recently announced like a plus tier and they announced limiting the amount of conversation you can have with Claude, which is annoying because I, I was used to like a, a free, a free tier, a very generous free tier, but now Claude is released to a bunch of other countries. So folks from Ukraine, Israel, India, like a bunch of other countries outside of the EU can use Claude AI. And now they actually have some competition for ChatGPT. And Claude is great. You should use Claude and yeah, I'm standing behind them for sure. Actually, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to add on that uh, fact about Claude that it was recently released in India and uh, it has a very nice wrapper on top of it. It's called Roast My Resume Something, which is an excellent uh, resume roasting platform. I tried it myself and it just does a really good job of finding problems in a resume, but it's also very sassy in it. It is like really in a really funny way, roast people resume. And it was not possible with something like ChatGPT. But I, I believe that in this sense, it's, it's better in that sense that it's, it's funny, funnier than ChatGPT. So that's, that's what I want to mention. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. For sure. Cloud uh, also has an API that you can apply to, and it was really hard to apply to it before. And now I think they've removed some restrictions. And so once you apply to their API keys, you will, you will probably get them faster. I'll put it, go ahead. Yeah, I'm also really excited that they have released it to Georgia because usually all companies just avoid it. As you cannot be a GitHub sponsor for GitHub sponsorship program, or you can you cannot even be a Google Play publisher in Georgia. However, all remaining countries are included, but they have given access in Georgia for the cloud, and I think I will try. Awesome. And let us know how it went for you. Right. So today, folks, is Mojo Day. Why am I so happy that it's Mojo Day when Mojo was released a bunch of weeks ago? We've talked about Mojo multiple times, but they maybe let me recap briefly. Chris Lapner, the guy behind Swift and the guy behind MLRI compiler and LVM compiler, like all these, all these incredible things. Yeah. He's working on a way to basically do Python plus plus. And we've talked about Mojo multiple times in the past. Because Python is this scripting language, basically, that's run like one-threaded, and there's been a bunch of attempts to make Python like go faster. But for most of the data science stuff, like NumPy, it's actually C or C++ code behind, below for performance. And um, basically, recently, folks 
Chris Latter joined a bunch of folks and then started hiring a bunch of folks after trying to get Swift to be the AI language and then seeing uh, languages like Rust and different other languages uh, become very, very good, but also weird for some Python folks. Um, and seeing attempts like uh, Llama.cpp uh, perform very well for AI, they started working on a language that looked like Python, smells like Python, but has types and, and strings and different things, structs and different things. And today, the reason why we're bringing this up is because Mojo is now available on the Mac ecosystem. So Silicon M1 and M2. And I'm very happy because honestly, I have a machine that I can SSH into and use Mojo over there, but I really want to like develop on my machine, right? And I know for a fact that many developers have those machines as well, and they also want to do this. And so finally we got Mojo and on M1 and M2, and its performance is very nice. And so for that, I want to invite Aiden to the stage. Aiden, welcome. Feel free to introduce yourself, and then we're going to talk about the evaluation that you did. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Aiden, joining you guys from London. So I'm interested in this rapidly evolving AI tech and always trying to learn concepts by crafting something new and what could be more interesting project rather than try to uh, learn new language that is promising and that is supposed to be a drop in replacement for Python, but with the speed of the C. So exactly for this reason, uh, like I will, I will tell some like story behind uh, the whole whole benchmark I implemented recently. So Mojo became available uh, on Ubuntu uh, and Linux early in September, and I implemented this port for Llama2.c uh, from the Andre Carpati, uh, and I implemented it on uh, Mojo and in demonstrated really, really uh, promising results on my Ubuntu-based virtual machine. So actually, I first version of the Llama2.mojo was implemented in a single threaded mode because I was not able to make it working in parallel because it was failing, et cetera, et cetera. And a single threaded, in single thread mode, Mojo outpaced Llama.c on Ubuntu with four, with six cores Intel i7. So, yeah, and just recently they announced that Mojo SDK will be available for general general public like after in, in October. And I got early access and I had all the chance to benchmark how it behaves, how it performs on Apple Silicon. So uh, results indeed were quite, quite interesting and quite promising. So yeah, however, I still consider my benchmark as a third iteration. So, because there are so many little details to explore why this language behaves this way, other language behaves that way. So the whole story is that I took 12 different implementations of Andre Karpati's Lama 2.c on seven different languages, including Mojo, including Lama.cpp, mentioned by Alex recently just earlier. So I took all the implementations, compiled, built them on my Mac and executed on three different baby llama models, like baby llama models is like 15 million parameters, 42 and 110 million parameters. So they are really teeny baby llamas. So the, and I executed them in a 30 rounds and collected all the metrics and prepared this report. 
that was shared on Twitter. And what was the result and what we can see from the benchmark? To my amazement, the motor performance on Mac uh, is right up there with Lama CPP. And it's, it's, it's really insane. It's, uh, if we will learn how the Lama CPP uh, in, implemented internally, it has a ton of optimizations like some Blast, math, etc. I'm not expert in, in CPP at all, in high performance computations, etc. But I was relevantly, relatively, relatively easily implement the similar performance solution on Mojo. So that was the most mind blowing from this benchmark, and it was it was working even faster than the Llama 2C in multi threaded mode. So that's really amazing, actually. You, so yeah, but I also had some results like, for example, Zeek programming language implementation was showing similar, similar performance in single mode, single threaded mode and multi thread mode. Probably I need to discover more, like how it's exactly implemented. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I misconfigured that in a way that it still uses multi threaded computation when even I executed with the parameters of single threaded. So yeah, but generally this is quite interesting. I I would advise everyone who is interested in speeding up the models execution to check this out because I think this is a huge story. Before that, we only were able to like increase the speed of the models by by quantizing the model like from the float point to integer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But my my benchmark was fully executed in the float point thirty two mode, mode. So yeah, I you can guys check this and give some feedback. Like, what do you think about the my approach? Maybe I have some gaps that we we can improve. Incredible, Ivan. Thank you for coming up and thank you for doing like in depth reports. So just just a summary for folks in the audience. Mojo. This is the promise of Mojo. This is the promise of Mojo. Drop-in replacement for Python that then you can progressively enhance towards struct, towards uh, typed, strong type language uh, for systems engineers and not only people who write like a script in Mojo. Uh, so to go all the way from, hey, let's play this within a notebook, like a Python notebook, all the way to let's put this in production and get to like a C, C++ level performance. And I then, you took, what, seven? 10 different implementations, different languages, right? So Go and Rust and Julia and Zig and C and C++, all these things, and you compared them on pretty much the same task as much as you could. And we shout out the, the community here. Please check out Titan's work and see if you can like point out some, some uh, things to improve. But you took all these implementations on baby llamas and ran performance uh, tests on them. And C++ is the best performing one. And Mojo without much optimization is actually very, very close. Very close. Could you tell us about how easy this was uh, to port the into Mojo? How much you needed to change in the code? Well, for me, because I had the Python version ported like a few months ago, I was just verifying my implementation with the Python. So it feels like Python when you're implementing things on a Mojo, but for some uh, computational parts, you can easily introduce the SIMD vectors calculations. So like in C, you have to implement a lot of hardware specific, probably assembler level optimizations, but 
Mojo doing this under the food automatically for you. That's why it simplifies the development of this kind of solutions. So, so it took me about two days on the weekend to write the first version that, that was that didn't have the parallelization support. And after a few days, some folks from the modular sent me pull requests that fixes the issues with parallelized function, and, and it became even more faster. That's that's incredible. And so, folks, Mojo is released today on the on the Mac, and you can play around with some demo. I did is the code release, so can can folks pull your code and like play around with this as well? Sorry, I didn't get your question. I meant, uh, did you open store some of your work so folks can actually oh, uh, yeah. as well? Sure, I can share a link to the Llama Two Mojo repository. So it's already collected like one thousand three hundred stars on the GitHub. So it's quite interesting to check out. That's very awesome. Thank you. And folks, definitely follow Idin. Thank you for this work. Because it's one thing to release statements from the module team and modular, and obviously they will select the best outcomes. But when the community comes and open sources test cases and shows the performance boosts and that we're all waiting for, I think that's great. And so I really wanted to thank you for, for this work and for coming and talking to us about this. I found it incredible. I found it incredible that your post about this only got like 3000 views because like we literally have a Python similar language that the promise of it is to be able to take this all the way to production performance. And now with a few days of work and a few pull requests, like you said, it goes up to the level of like Lama CPP and Lama CPP. When you're, you're going to release Lama CPP, it was already great. But since then there's like a whole insane community of like fine tuners and tweakers and performance op optimizers optimizers that like, just like squeezed every little inch of performance out of there. And to have Mojo, let me briefly get to that performance level, just like underlines the promise of Mojo and just shout out to the module team for participating in this and shout out to you, I think for, for this work and uh, the community is more than welcome to join on this effort and, and give us more examples like this or like check it in work. So thank you so much for coming up here and talking about this and for doing this effort. Right. So. Module excitement behind us, not honestly only behind us. I expect many new models that come out will come out with like a, a inference code on Mojo. And I expect that like full optimizations of, of Mojo will, will come. Also, Mojo is just language as well, but modular will have an inference platform that also on its own promises like optimizations there. And so we're going to continue updating you guys about this excitement because who doesn't want faster models, right? So we can quantize and we can run them on module and we can unlock tricks like, like the thing we discussed NIP for training. So, so all these things are like coming one after another, and this is how it feels to accelerate. And I'm definitely here for it. So we'll keep you up to date. The last thing to cover in the big company APIs and LLMs is actually something that flew under the radar for many, many people. And I am here to, I'm here to be that radar for you guys as well, right? Baidu which is a huge company in China had their AI day recently, a few days ago. And I was, I was on the live. I don't know how I got there. I think Robert Cobble who was in the audience before he was tuning in. So I was also tuning in. It was like 40 people on the live stream on Twitter. It was like, what? And probably millions in China. The live stream was actually simultaneously translated to English 
by a human, which is a thing that soon will be replaced by an AI model. We'll talk about this in a second. But Baidu announced incredible wealth of things. So there's a, this whole there's this whole feeling that hey, where's China? Right? Like China is behind. China used to like copy a bunch of the US stuff. And there's the whole debate about, hey, we shouldn't stop open source because if we stop, China won't stop and they will fall behind, like stuff like that. Uh, well, China is not stopping and China is not falling behind. And Ernie, the model that they released, the foundational model, which is a multimodal model, like a full multimodal, understands videos, understands images, uh, can generate images, can generate videos as well. They called Ernie 4. And now, not only did they re not release this, <laughs> sorry, they announced this. And it's within their in infrastructure. The, there isn't even an API that we can test, which is a shame. They've also integrated this to multiple products. So they're taking like a little bit of a different approach because essentially Baidu is like the, the Chinese Google, let's say competitor, right? It's not like the open AI that releases models and then builds products with them. They already have products. They have the, the maps, they have ride hailing, right? Like, like autonomous ride hailing which I think they also announced that like Baidu has like the, the biggest autonomous right hailing fleet in the world. And they've announced this Ernie model and they've announced that it's integrated to like a bunch of solutions for them. They have announced that this Ernie is integrated into, it has capabilities in understanding generation and reasoning and memory. Memory was the very interesting part to me because we talk about RAG, we talk about context window, we talk about different things and Ernie has some stuff like this built in. And I think that what I found incredible is they have an AI map built in. So they have a competitor of Google Maps basically within Baidu, and they have a map solution for like, like what you know from maps. And they've integrated Ernie inside this map where you can get recommendations of where to go just directly from the map interface, integrating this like this Ernie thing. It can help you plan routes. It can help you do a bunch of other stuff. Obviously, those are claims on stage from this company and we should take them with a grain of salt. And if you know me and you've been on Thursday, I, I do get excited about like promises and then we need to double check them as well. So this is why we're coming to you week from week to then also check this. If you are in the audience, it is our Chinese and you are able to check the Baidu stuff uh, and you have already, feel free to raise your hand and come up and talk to us about the, the earning stuff. However, uh, once we get more uh, experience with this, we'll also come back next week and next week and talk about this. However, again, not only did they announce this like very significant foundational model called Ernie, not only are they showing their prowess in training models, we've also talked about the Chinese connection to the UAE and the Falcon stuff and how China is investing in the UAE and raising like bigger models. The integration part where they integrated this into pretty much everything is the most incredible part to me. Because it's one thing to release foundational models. It's a whole another thing to like bake them into your products. And one additional thing that I wanted to highlight as an integration thing is they've integrated this into their basically Google Drive. They call it Yun Yudio, Yun Yudio Drive, something like this. And imagine the Google Drive where you can search, find your videos, and then you can summarize the videos inside based on extracting text from it, etc. So they have this multimodal AI agent built into your drive where all your files and videos sit and it can like pinpoint an exact frame within the video based on their claims again. It can extract frames and statements from videos and can summarize videos and can also transcribe and add subtitles, which is something that near and dear to my heart because of Targum. And 
basically you have like a Google Drive with a built-in AI agent. I found it very cool. I found it very cool. And because I'm like, where is Google? Why, why, why isn't my Google Drive does this, right? Like why, why isn't like Dropbox does this? Dropbox sounds like an AI thing, but I've never even tried it. Honestly, it sounds a little bit fell flat, the announcement. Sorry for folks from Dropbox, if you're listening to this, but very exciting announcement from, from Baidu. Very interesting timing as well, before Google starts uh, ramping up their stuff with uh, Gemini, which is supposed to be multimodal and supposed to come at some point. Google is working really hard at implementing all these like toys within Google Drive and uh, Gmail now has AI that I haven't really used myself. And very interesting timing of this release from early from Baidu. So I think that's most of the announcement. If folks have comments or have tried anything, I welcome uh, this. And we also definitely want to understand that the AI innovation will not only come from Silicon Valley as it, as it has so far, uh, or France, right? France is a big player as well. Mistral and there's a bunch of Hagen face folks, probably most of the, of the top Hagen face folks in France, Jan Lecun and Meta AI, there's like a whole fair team in France as well. So it's somehow Silicon Valley and France and some other places. And now we also have China stepping in and showing us what they have. I'll say this one last thing. I heard this argument before about China not wanting very strong foundational models because the immediate thing that people will do with foundational models is ask about the Tiananmen Square and China doesn't want you to know about the Tiananmen Square. And so they will have to arrive at alignment before everybody else, just because of the restriction in, in speech and, uh, you know, some stuff they want to hide from the general population. And I actually am very interested to see how these models perform on the stuff that China tries to hide from the Chinese folks with the great firewall. So very interested in, in, in seeing how this performs on some of the stuff that like the CCP wants maybe hidden. However, I don't speak Chinese or Mandarin. And if anybody does and has tried this, let us know and come up on next Thursday. The next incredible thing. Okay, this, this is probably the best thing, and I'll go and find my, my tweet about this to paint to you guys as well. Uh, Meta, you know that I love Meta, especially because of the insane amount of open source they're doing and insane amount of progress. Not to mention, they have the same vision as I, which is removing language barriers from the world is, is good. And they're releasing stuff like seamless and empty, releasing stuff like uh, NLB, no language left behind, translation models, like all these things. Not to mention that Meta recently released like a whole slew of AI agents on everyone. So everybody from my mom to my cousins can use AI within WhatsApp now. And I don't know if you used it. It's really fun. It's like a toy. I don't really see the need to use that AI versus something, but it definitely looks like they're implementing llama based agents everywhere. And Instagram is a place where many teenagers hang out. So probably they just like gave a bunch of teenagers access to AI stuff. Meta is not resting on their laurels. I want to just print this tweet. They released, they're sharing new research. I don't know if you guys seen this. They shared new research to talk about one step closer to real-time decoding of image perception from brain activity. I'll say this again slowly, and this has been a tweet of mine that's been blowing up. Real-time decoding of images from brain activity. And so we've talked about this modality before multiple times on Thursday. I actually, there's a, there's a company called MedArc that talked about 
building a multimodality based on fMRI scans. And this fMRI scans basically turn images that the person saw while they were undertaking the MRI scanning into renderings with stable diffusion. And they seem very, very similar. However, this is a whole new thing because what, what Meta is basically showing is that they're able to extract mag, magnetic something. Let me, let me find the actual paper. Magnetoencephalography, which is a non-invasive neuroimaging technique, which measures like thousands of brain activity measurements per second. And the cool thing about what they're doing is, unlike the fMRI stuff, which is really hard and expensive to do, mag is cheaper. It's literally like a device. It's a huge device, but you basically sit and it's like a huge crown on your head but it's like almost real time. And they're able to do this brain activity reimagining in almost real time. And I found that just like mind blowing, excuse me for the pun, that it's now possible to sit within like a huge machine. Yes, expensive, yes, all this, and then have a image model to just generate basically what you're looking at just from your brain waves, just from this like measurements. Is it, is it scary that Meta does this? Maybe to some people. Is it scary that it's possible? Definitely for many people. But I, I personally find it like very interesting for multiple reasons. First of all, there's many people who are able to speak and this will help them for sure. There's multiple research avenues into our brain and, and, and consciousness that will be possible. Like imagine this scan for somebody who like is, I don't know, in a five hour meditation and to see like what, what they experience in there. This is just like one of the more incredible things are getting unlocked with this technology. And so I think that it's, it's very easy to imagine a, a, a black mirror scenario here and Arthur feel free to chime in after that. But I find it that incredible that how much this unlocks for the, uh, for medical research and for people who are like not able to, to tell us what they see. And definitely this brings us closer to human and machine interaction, BCI type stuff, because Neuralink basically can do the same. They talked about this on stage. They can analyze brain activity and Neuralink is invasive. And this Meg thing is not invasive. Now it's, it's still not portable. It's still not possible to just like walk around and have, like put on glasses and the glasses read what, from what you can do. But we've seen similar attempts with EEG signals as well. And then we saw some patents from, I think Apple, that they have like an EEG sensor built into like a basically AirPods form factor. And so definitely we're on this path. And this research from Meta is just showing how, how possible this is to, to do this. And it's a, it's a very, it's a start. And as everything else that we talked about, like 70 billion parameter models, 7 billion parameter models that's 10, 10 times as small can now outperform several tasks. This will also start to get better and better. And the, the hardware is going to get smaller and smaller. So I'm excited. Arthur, are you excited? Oh yeah, and uh, I will talk about the bad things that can come with that. I also think that with uh, Gaussian splats and the 4D Gaussian splats that we saw on Twitter in the last days, basically the video of, uh, yes, Gaussian splats with video, I guess it will be possible to reconstruct it in a way just like uh, brain dance in cyberpunk video game. You would be able to see uh, 3D things and navigate through them in real time. And I think it would be 
it will be very amazing. We're just living in the era where all your favorite uh, sci-fi video games or movies or books are just coming through. through. I, so Gussin's thoughts for folks who uh, aren't familiar, uh, maybe familiar with nerfs. That's the, the next maybe iteration right after of, of nerf, basically taking a few pictures, uh, from different angles, not that many, and then recreating a full 3d scene. And I think it's also like frozen in time and you can like, maybe, maybe do some other stuff. And we've, we're, after, I think you mentioned that we saw Gussin's flat videos as well, where like you can, you can. Basically, do what Matrix did in '99 with like a bunch of cameras, but from a few pictures. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. And so that's definitely incredible to see the progress there, and just to be able to then recreate this from brain activity is a is a connection that I haven't made so far, Arthur. So thank you for that. Yes, definitely, definitely an exciting future there. So, folks, multimodality is on board in here as well because fMRI and this Meg and EEG. All of those are definitely going to be one modality of like these models that we're going into. So LLMs is no longer a thing. MLLMs, which is harder to say, multimodal LLMs is where we're going. And they will be with us everywhere. And the modalities that will not only just be images and, and text, there will be more modalities like, for example, MAG signals or fMRI. Let's see. I think we've covered most of the major stuff, major stuff. Let's say, okay. One, maybe last thing that I wanted to cover in, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about voice for a second. So we've talked about voice just a little bit in the pie segment, but let me, let me reiterate the voice stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, OpenAI released like a bunch of stuff together and it was really hard to kind of parse them. And not many people got access to all of the things at once. And I think since then, everybody got access to GPT-4 uh, voice or GPT-3, if you're not paying for plus, if you haven't tried it yet my strong recommendation to open the ChatGPT app and try it. And the way you try it is there's like a, almost like a phone, I think it's fall thing, like an icon there that you can press and then it connects. I think it does like a WebRTC connection. It connects uh, to ChatGPT and basically you can talk with it. And let me tell you, this interaction mode with ChatGPT is incredible, especially if you have like AirPods, you just walk around. It's not yet talking it's not yet like talking to a person specifically one reason that came up to me of why not is because it doesn't have a time sense so but i'll give you an example of what what i did with this voice thing i said i i cooked my mom was asleep on the other side of the world and i needed to cook something very specific and i just like i put on ChatGPT, put it in voice mode put it in my, my pocket the beautiful thing is you don't have to type and so you can just do other things if you have airpods for example and ChatGPT released an up application update, at least on iPhone. I don't know about Android, where the the conversation continues when your phone is locked, right? So it's like a like like a phone call, basically, like a like a FaceTime. So I was literally walking around the store asking ChatGPT for different things. It would give me different things, and then I like I drove back. It was it was with me during the whole drive. I was talking to the ChatGPT model the whole drive about what am I going to cook with this. And then when I came home, it actually was with me when I was cooking. So I literally like spent, I don't know, two hours talking to ChatGPT about very specific things. Now it's still ChatGPT, it's still GPT-4 and it's not fine tuned for like longer conversations. So for example, like a very funny example of that was one of the instructions was, Hey, boil a pot of water, right? I was, I was making borscht, boil a pot of water. 
And then literally every humans have it built into them. The boiling a pot of water takes time. And so they wouldn't ask you like every second, every second sentence is the pot, is the water boiled yet? But because these models don't have a concept of time built into their conversation skills, literally after uh, that step in the cooking process where I needed to ask it, hey, just be with me during the cooking process. It literally, every sentence afterwards, it asked me, how's the water? Is the water boiled yet? Is the water boiled yet? And I was like, no, it takes some time. It's like, yes, it's okay. Water takes some time. And so I had to come up with some stuff to make the ChatGPT busy. Maybe I asked it to give me a quiz about something. I asked it to give me some tidbits about the food process, whatever. But it still kept kept going back about like, has the, has the water boiled? So I found it really funny that it's not like, not there in terms of conversation because it doesn't understand the temporal kind of progress of things. However, this whole interaction model was novel for me, like really novel. I can't, I can't imagine me typing all this in that long conversation. Maybe I should share this on Twitter, the, the whole conversation that I had about me making borscht, but I can't imagine me typing all this. Imagine like you're trying to cook and you also need to type. Not very, very fun, is it? So definitely the multimodality of it being able to listen to you and talk is a whole huge thing. Definitely check it out if you haven't. Uh, Pi has a similar thing, but I don't think Pi in, Pi in, Pi in one works where, where you close the, the phone. And I think that the best thing about this, where like, I don't have to like keep the phone in front of my head. So we're moving towards like a world integration. Imagining the multimodal world, which everybody also sees what I see and listens to what I listen. I think it's going to be an update for many, many people in terms of how useful these agents are or models are, not agents yet. So multimodal voice thing, definitely a very strong new interaction model with JGPT. And similar to this in a similar vein, you guys know that we've talked about multiple voice generation softwares, open source and non-open source, right? So OpenAI has their own that they've trained and we heard from Spotify that they've actually used the open, uh, open AI model to translate the podcast. Uh, OpenAI hasn't released this open source. They're, they don't want to, which is fine. Uh, but we do have a bunch of open source ones like XSST from Coqui AI that we talked to a couple of weeks ago, friends of the pod. And uh, this week, Play.ht, which is one of the one of the more advanced ones for voice generation, announced something incredible. Play.ht. If you let me just go and find this announcement real quick. If you if you they basically have a real time AI conversation built in, right? So ChatGPT wouldn't be as helpful to me if it if it taken like a minute to generate every everything that he wants to say. Play.ht now shows an example of generating voice with under 300 milliseconds latency. I'll say this again, very slowly. They have a blazing fast conversational AI text-to-speech model with under 300 milliseconds latency. So if you use the 11 labs before, give PlayHD a try. They're definitely significantly faster as far as I see. And I think there was research from Google a long time ago that for humans, everything under 215 milliseconds is basically instantaneous. They talked about clicking, they talked about web UI and, and interaction. So 300 milliseconds with clone voices and accents is basically for real-time agent interaction, I think is incredible. And uh, yeah, anybody who builds like a voice interface should definitely try that. Anybody who's afraid of their voice being cloned, we're already there. We've covered this multiple times before, but you can basically clone your own voice or somebody else's voice from like 10 seconds or I don't know, 30 seconds of audio. And then now you have a real-time ability to build conversational agents. 
And I find it super, super cool. So definitely check out play.ht. And I think that this covers most of everything that we wanted to cover. And I think the last thing that I wanted to cover, I'll go and find right now. Yeah, slightly unrelated, but I wanted to talk about if you guys have had any uh, interaction with Adobe's Firefly recently, because it was updated. Initial days, it was not really good. I did not like it at all, felt very synthetic, but it was recently updated and I was trying it out the other day. I have a few photos. I'll tweet about it later today. Now the decorations are, for example, whatever you want added into the picture feels way too natural. Right now, Adobe does this CR thing where they put these credentials with each image in the metadata where it says that it has been generated using AI. But the image seems way too like real for me. I tried it besides Midjourney and Dali 3. And for me, at, at least in my opinion, the images generated using Adobe's Firefly seems way more natural than the other two. So that is something I wanted to bring up because I don't know if it was discussed earlier. Actually, thank you. This was literally in my notes. I was about to, to skip this because look at the time, but thank you for bringing this up. Uh, we had John Neck from Adobe AI team on Thursday. I, he's a dear friend of the pod. And when they announced Firefly, he came up. And when they now generate a fill for Photoshop, which kind of I think uses Firefly behind the scenes, where you can select some parts of the image and just like generatively fill them. Uh, I found that incredible as a power tool. And yes, they announced Firefly too. Thank you for bringing this up. Some images there for people specifically, they've added so much real realism that they're like skin blemishes. There's different things. It looks so good. It doesn't look like washed out, airbrushed examples of like what we've gotten used to like from a journey. And so judging what's AI art and what's not AI art, I think is going to be much more difficult after Firefly. And this is why they added some stuff to the metadata. So they released like this beta of Firefly 2. It's free on Adobe's website. All, all you need is basically an Adobe uh, account. And it's, it's if you are after realistic images, this is the way for now at least. They also have um, a generative match where you can upload a picture. Let's say you go to DALI and you generate something with DALI and you like it, but then you want it like more realistic. You can upload that. It's called a generative match. It's basically like image to image, but they have some all their own like flair additions to that. So if you have an existing example of how you want the image to look, you're also up, able to, to, to create that. The cool thing they also have is a prompt remix, which a diagram we've talked about as well. A diagram from folks from Google, uh, ex-Googlers ex came out. So they have like a, a prompt remix, which you can take one generation of theirs. Let's say actually we'll share something. We'll also share a link. You'll be able to take that link and then continue iterating on that uh, prompt and that image. And then they also have prompt suggestions. I don't know which model they use actually with Adobe. I don't think Adobe has an LLM yet. So they probably use it with GPT or, or something. But they have prompt suggestions. So like, as you type the prompts, it will give you some suggestions. Those weren't that great, honestly, to me. But the whole suite of new things that you get with Firefly is actually very, very interesting. Go ahead, actually. Yeah, like just another addition to that. I am like in love with Adobe is this feature of you can leave the uh, prompt blank and observe the magic that uh, Firefly does. It's absolutely stunning. Like you can choose the subject and then leave the prompt blank. And in fact, I think if you're using it for the first time, they will ask you to leave the prompt blank and write. So that is another thing that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I need to I need to try to leave it from bank entirely and then see what happens. Yeah, I think the last thing that we want to talk about is coming up. But before that, I saw Robert, you raise your hand and come up from the audience. Welcome. Yeah, I, I just wanted to share a cool vision that lately with all those therapy uh, tools like DI and the ChatGPT voice where you can basically talk to AI, it, it like it blows us closer to the scenario of the movie Her, where you're talking to the device and then you basically don't need any any human anymore just because you have uh, fulfilled your social duty. And yeah, I just wonder about where all of this will take us. And that just seemed like a rewind and like those variable devices are like also the next step to this. I don't know where is it going, but it's like, it looks like AGI and uh, like complete merging human with, with AI. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Robert, for coming up. So I'll just say, because you're new here on, on stage, Thursday is mostly focused on the updates. We, we sometimes talk about implications, but mostly those are reserved for other spaces. However, it's important to know that many of the stuff that you're talking about are trends that are happening. So yeah. last week, or I guess two weeks ago, we talked about the wearable revolution, basically tab from Avi and then the humane pin and the rewind pendant, like all these things. That are coming very, very soon that uh, AIs, our personal AIs will also like listen to what we're listening. We're also noticing the trend of talk to the agent as much uh, as possible. And I actually had this idea of interviewing either Pi or, or ChatGPT here on the Thursday iPod, actually bringing them into the space. And I was thinking whether or not it's going to be interesting. And you know what I arrived at so far? So far, I thought that it would be boring and people will not actually would like it. If you feel differently, if you want me to like interview an AI here, <laughs> live on stage or like in the podcast, and if you listen to an AI podcast versus like a human to human podcast, do let me know because I'm interested in like what, what people feel about this. My current feeling about this is that humanity will not disappear just because there's AI people or sorry, AI people, funny. There's AI agents that we can talk about and with, even though they have voices that sound human, even though they have like, empathy modes that they can turn in. My current feeling is that humans is the, the, the thing that imbues all of that with intent and connectivity. And even though it's a good start to talk to like Pi's uh, support mode, because maybe you're shy and you don't want to talk with other humans and you're like embarrassed. I think it's just the start. I don't think it's a complete end-to-end -end journey. Personally, to me, like the humanity aspect of being here with all of you, even though you're all like in the digital realm with me, I don't see any of you here. But to me, like this personal aspect is is what makes it fun, is what makes it interesting. Because Robert, when you came up, I had no idea what you're, what you're about to say, but I had an, an idea that you're a person with opinions and not an AI with opinions. And so we'll see if that changes within me, if that changes within us. And we'll see if I'm going to eat my hat and then uh, bring an AI collaborator here that will be actually doing the research for me and maybe pinning tweets. So thanks for coming up and bringing this up. And on the same topic, continuing the same topic to the end of the space is I pinned the AI tech, Techno Optimist Manifesto from Mark Andreessen. And I just want to highlight that Thursday AI is adhering to the Techno Optimist Manifesto. And if, you, if you haven't realized this by now, you should, you should listen to some older episodes. It was a great, great uh, essay by Michael, Mark Andreessen that does a bunch of this stuff. He's very progressive about the future and very libertarian in, in the approach. I don't agree with everything that's written there, but for sure, for sure, I personally think, and this is 
that this, this space is modeled based on that, that technology is what drives humanity forward. And we use technology in different other areas. And so we can definitely see bad outcomes. We can see potentially harmful outcomes, but technology is technology. And we just, we should look forward for this progress because it's happening anyway. And being scared of something that happens anyway is just like a bad way to live, me personally. And so the techno-optimist way approach is that technology changes is good. And humanity will find a way to use this for good as well, even though it's potentially some of it is destructive. And so I recommend everyone to read the techno-optimist manifesto and internalize this as well. And Thursday I is definitely adhering to the techno-optimist manifesto. And the whole point of these is not to only give you updates, but also to walk through actual use cases of the stuff that's coming out and talk through the changes from week to week so that people will not be fearful of change because people do not like change. Some many, many people actually, they want to stay behind. Some of the horrible stuff that we see around the world is happening because people want to bring, bring back what once was, and that's not what we stand for. And so Techno Optimist Manifesto definitely worth a read. We're here from week to week to talk about everything that's interesting in AI. If you missed part of it, or if you want to listen again, this will be released as a podcast on thursdayi.news. You can go and get there from my, from my profile, from Thursday Eye profile, which is a speaker as well. And there's a newsletter and a podcast. At the end of the newsletter, there's always an emoji that you can use to DM me that I'll know that somebody at least read it all the way to the end. So I'm expecting some of your DMs. And with that, I want to wish you a great Thursday. Go play with Mojo. Go, go check out the meta stuff about real-time brain activity, understanding and decoding, and definitely talk to Pi and ChatGPT with voice mode and let us know what you think about those. And if you speak Mandarin and you have access to Mandarin, I want to hear from you next week, right? So if you do have access, let us know because the whole AI thing is multi, multicultural, multilingual, and we just want to see where everybody's at. So with that, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you for joining, and uh, we'll see you next week.